How is smell part of your experience observing works of art? Today, we talk about scent, smell, and olfactory aesthetics, inspired by an exhibition by the artist Manon Ballet, currently on view at the museum. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art at Auburn University. Manon's exhibition, A Swallow Does Not Make a Summer, is part of our Radical Naturalism series, a series that invites contemporary artists who think about nature and the natural world. Today, we invited Manon and the scholar Sean Shu, who teaches at UC Davis, to visit the museum and talk about smell, memory, and the environment. Sean is at the museum for an event we titled The Smell of Risk, inspired by his book The Smell of Risk, Environmental Disparities and Olfactory Aesthetics. Sean's writing is about aesthetics, but also about environmental risk, inequality, and how smell, quote, extends across space and reaches into our bodies. I wanted to start by asking them both how they first engaged with smell in their work. The first voice you hear is Sean, followed by Manon. So I first got interested in smell when I was working on literary naturalism, which is a movement um, involving artists or writers such as Jack London, Frank Norris, Stephen Crane, um, who were really interested in thinking about humans as animals, right? As animals who are conditioned by their um, background and especially their environment. So naturalism was a genre that just really struck me as being one of the few genres in the 19th century that was really like interested in smell. So smell figured really prominently. And it's because smell is the way in which the environment kind of forms and constrains and often debilitates characters in those novels. So I wrote a piece about that. Um, and then meanwhile, I started reading just, you know, online about olfactory art. And the pieces I was reading just weren't really satisfying me because they, they seemed to just be kind of framing olfactory artworks as like curious or kind of like quirky pieces, right? And I, I realized that this form of art that folks have been experimenting with was kind of not being well framed, at least not at the time, and that I already had a kind of helpful framework for thinking about it in what I'd been working on and reading about for the literary naturalism part of the work. So that's, that's how I came to it. My approach with um, olfaction came from different reasons. Um, um, so I, most of my work as, a, as an artist has to do um, with invisibility and how to make visible things that we cannot perceive or things that we feel that we cannot uh, articulate it. Um, that's been since the last 15 years of my work, the main idea of my project. Um, I, I was growing up in Switzerland and living most of my life in the north part of Europe and moving in 2016 to New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, being um, kind of a challenge for me and also as a personal experience and I think the idea of introducing a faction through this personal experience um, and of course being in this new landscape and facing differently but vividly a disappearance and a change um, and also the consequence of all this, this change bring me back to my reflection of as an artist, how to make visible and visible and how to make you feel 
and that was the starting point of thinking I want to work with olfaction and olfaction directly related with landscapes and memories. In 2017, Manon Ballet began her field research, extracting scents from specific areas of the Mississippi Delta region. These are all places affected by coastal erosion. Her practice involves deep conversations, interviews, site visits, and investigations into the land. Manon creates her work as multi-sensory. It plays with not only the things that we see, but things that we hear, smell, and feel. Yeah, it's typical sometimes, uh, like I think in my research, is also trying to build something without knowing the final result. Um, I'm battling since many years in my practice to never find a final result. I hate to have a final result. And I think as long as I can keep that, I will create it. And I think the day I became facing that, I already know the result and I'm probably done with my creativity. So I think in that sense... Uh, the project I'm doing, um, it's, you know, of course, understanding my new territories, but it's really just basing, basically understanding each other, communication, and of course, communication comes to verbal, but also through feeling and different sense. As part of these community investigations, Manon works with fishermen. Manon spends hours with each of the fishermen and their families, recording oral histories and taking physical samples of the land, of the water, of objects that are important to them. All these different steps of discovering a landscape that for this population are extremely known and they live in these places for decades, and me being new there is how you try to find each other a common point. I wanted to really have the people speaking about their relation with their landscape, basically their orientation, changing through the change of the landscape, and obviously the olfaction play a big role. My wish is also when you smell tea specific scent, you get back to your own feelings and memories. Sean's writing inspired Manon's work, but Sean has never encountered one of Manon's smells in person. I asked Sean how he reads Manon's installation and how it intersects with his research. Yeah, um, I, I think it really resonates with a lot of things that I've been thinking about and just like expresses it so concretely and powerfully. Um, so, you know, partly just the smells that correlate with toxicity and environmental risks of various sorts that, of course, you know, disproportionately affect vulnerable communities. Um, but then also, um, Menon, the way you were talking about the correlations between smell and memory, right? And smell is just like powerful ways of evoking memories. I think it, it really makes me think about like that environmental or olfactory kind of inequality is not just about exposing people to poisons that they breathe in, although of course that's like hugely important, but also the uneven distribution of culturally specific smells that actually like make available different kinds of collective and individual memories and space, right? So I've been thinking about smells and smellscape in terms of distributed affect and distributed memory um, along the lines of work in distributed cognition, right? So the idea, is, the idea that the mind is not just like in our bodies, but it it sort of like operates in conjunction and interactively 
um, with all of the objects and environments around us. So if we think about it that way, then certain memories associated with smells are kind of hugely overrepresented in our everyday lives, whereas the smells of some of the communities that you're exploring and working with or the smells of, you know, some of the smells I grew up with, right, like the smell of my grandmother's soap or the smell of, like, Shitsuanese cooking, um, these things are, you know, relatively underrepresented. And, I mean, so much so that, like, I walked into a house the other day that smelled like that soap, and it just kind of like washed over me, right? I hadn't smelled it in probably decades. Walking into a museum and encountering an object through smell is shocking. It's surprising in the context of visual art to be asked to smell something. It challenges our perception. It challenges our descriptive abilities. And it also challenges the other objects, visual objects, that encounter the smell. This is part of the social dynamic that Manon creates as an artist. She's using smell as a social encounter. Yes, I think uh, facing olfaction and, and everyone, uh, with visitors, we have a different feelings. Uh, some people react really vividly with smell, some don't. Um, and I think... The, fa- the, the fact that with olfaction you don't have an re- image to refer to, you are neck, in, neck, I don't know if it's the right word. En français, on dit être mise à nu. That's yourself and the, se- and the smell. And I think this experience for me is extremely important um, where you will have to formulate something and you have to push yourself to understand what, what is the process. And I think this feeling, it's a common feeling when you're facing something new, something you do not understand, something you cannot put, put world on it. Uh, it could be so different things personally or more generally that put you in this moment where you do not actually have a world, where you do not directly know what territory it is and you have to question yourself. What is that? Uh, and even if you don't smell much, it's still a substance that is facing in front of you. So... Um, these invisibilities, um, immaterialities, um, is extremely important. Um, the question is, as a visual artist, how far I can go with that? This aesthetic and conceptual challenge is also part of the Radical Naturalism series. We invite artists like Manon to be in conversation with work by John James Audubon. Because we want Audubon's work to be challenged, we want to ask new questions and read the work in different ways. Sean responded to this particular aesthetic challenge, the juxtaposition of Audubon's work with these visceral smell objects. Yeah, I mean, first I just want to speak to that. I, it like really resonated me with me, Manon, when you're talking about the kind of like non-visual encounter with smell, right? Because it's such a like striking juxtaposition and contrast with the Audubon images, right? And the way that, you know, he killed these birds so that he could create these, like, graphic images of them in order to document them that way. Whereas walking into your exhibition, the first thing we get is the kind of, like, sheet of, is is it paper? <laughs> yeah, like, scented paper, the smell of, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but wet earth from, from the region, right? And it just strikes me, even even now that I've read more and learned more about it, it's it's filled with this kind of feeling of uncertainty, right? That, 
you know, even when you know that it's water whose smell has changed due to pollution and toxicity, climate change, um, it still, it also initially smells just intriguing and kind of nice, right, and subtle. Um, and so I just didn't really know how to place it within the exhibition. I think that that's it immediately just kind of like does the opposite of what a visual kind of picture of, you know, a specific species of bird would do, right? Which is it kind of like unsettles you from what's familiar. Um, and then the other smells, I think, had a very different effect, right? That like they're much more kind of like resonant and I, I, I was able to kind of like identify them, I think. So the smell of honey and magnolia, and I think they speak to, you know, these things can still thrive in this landscape, right? Um, and so you got this mix of uncertainty and certainty that I found just like really intriguing and a really different way to move through an exhibition uh, or an installation than, than you know, I've, I've experienced in the past. My thanks to Sean Shu and Manon Ballet for talking with us about their work. This episode also marks the end of our first year at the Museum Podcast. So thank you all for listening. All museum programs including this podcast, are made possible by listeners like you. Visit jcsm.auburn.edu to show your support. Thank you.